0: that jarring cacophony tells you that once again It's the Power of Three podcast, and I think that the sound you can hear in the background, the Segun Akinola theme tune, tells you that we're gonna be chatting about an adventure for the 13th Doctor. Today, it's Tuesday the 14th of November, 2023, twenty-three. We're nine days away from the anniversary. And I'm Kenny Smith, and I'm back with my trusted co-conspirator, a man who loves Doctor Who books, a man who just loves Doctor Who in general, really. He better say hello. Hello. Yes, I'm David Seale. Welcome back.
1: Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us. Day 14. It's hard Day four- to believe. He's had me
0: locked up in his dungeon for... Weeks now, listeners, we're getting there. Yep, he's been surrounded by books. It's a dungeon made out of Doctor Who books—hardbacks, paperbacks—and they've all been glued together so they can never be reread or resold or anything. Yes, this is another
1: one, listeners, where I literally finished the book uh, last night, so <laughs> it's all fresh
0: in my mind as we record. Yep. Which book are we talking about today, then, Kenneth? Well, well, Dave, we've actually got—we've got our copies here together. Let's just high-five them. We'll hold them up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers So they can see what's what's. Absolutely, Yep, today we're talking about A book by a fellow Scot A fellow Glaswegian indeed A fellow Davey Indeed, it's David Solomon's And The Secret in Vault 13 Now, why did I pick this one, Dave? I'm sure you'd love to know Um, I don't think we've actually Talked about why you picked it Why did you pick this one, Kenny? Well I thought, because David Solomon's Scottish, it gives us an excuse to have another Scottish voice on. And it's somebody I'd never spoken with before, and my Katie, when she was small, she liked David's other works. So I thought that actually be quite nice just to yeah have a chance and uh, chat to somebody who's written stuff other than Doctor Who. But I discovered what a big Doctor Who fan he is during Excellent. the
1: chat. I'm, I'm looking at our two, two different editions here and just comparing the covers. Like, the... Um Kenny's is you, is you the second edition? I really I think I'm not sure sh- I'm not sure Just I don't right. know which, I is first. which is the right Hang on, let's have a look. Ah, yours is reissued 2019, right? Ah, okay. So it's it's the same drawing of the Doctor, but she's been flipped on the second one, and the number 13 is larger, and the we'll, we'll get a photograph of us both holding them for the, today on the social list, and so we can have a look, but it's just interesting noticing that on the first edition, the Doctor Who logo's at the top, and David Solomon's name at the bottom, but then on the reprint, it's flipped David's name at the top and the Doctor Who logo at the bottom, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated. See, I wish you hadn't brought this down, Kenny, because now I'm going to have to go and buy the reprint, because I'm a complete... Completist? That sort of way. I'm fascinated (laughs) with such things like, um, you know, like how many very. I bought three variant different covers for the the new Sandman series that just started, for example. You know, I love all that stuff, so I just... Kenny's taunting me now with a cover variant, and I must have it. (laughs) Yeah. Dave, tell us what the back cover version of the blurb says in your book. Right. A sinister school where graduation means death. A monstrous mystery lurking beneath a quiet London street. A desperate plea for help, delivered by, hang on, a potted plant? The Doctor has been summoned. The galaxy is in terrible danger and only a Time Lord can save it, but to do so she must break into an ancient vault on a remote and frozen world from which nobody has ever returned alive. Can the Doctor and her friends Yaz, Ryan and Graham uncover the shocking secret in Vault 13? A thrilling, hilarious and scary adventure
0: for the 13th Doctor as portrayed by Jodie Whittaker. Slightly different on the reprint, because it's only got a sinister school where graduation means death, a monstrous mystery lurking beneath a quiet London street, a desperate plea for help delivered by a, hang on, a potted plant, a thrilling, hilarious and scary adventure for the 13th Doctor as portrayed by Jotoway here. So it's slightly shorter the yeah, reprint. Yeah, missing the bit about the, the um some
1: of the plot details. That's interesting. Yeah. No, um, Yes. So, what, what did you find about this? this is the first thirteenth Doctor book you've read, I believe. Yeah, um, I loved it. To be honest, it was great fun. Lots and lots of things I could highlight. Not difficult to read by any stretch. Obviously, you know, it's, I believe it's targeted at a, a younger audience. But I was surprised at points just how, you know, it says in the back there. Scary. Some of it was there was some quite dark sort of stuff in it, like the the sort of um Bebo Bebobs type sort of transporter accident type, you know, the faculty character, you know, made out of the bodies of the the teachers yes. from the crash, from the that you know. Thought details, spoilers, listeners, I'm assuming some familiarity with the story here. If you haven't read it, you really should. I was struck by that. The the threat of the um of the giant mole that was just basically eating people. Some of that, you know, the fact that they're finding bones in the ground, that was quite um um, and there was a few other bits and bobs because there's, there's that point when Yaz generally thinks the doctor has died until you know, and it's a very clever twist as that the doctor hasn't died. Um, but that was very good. But it's also very very funny. I wanted to highlight some some chapter titles, listeners. Chapter five is called Non Compost Mentis. <laughs> chapter seven was called Gardeners of the Galaxy, which was hilarious. School's Out one called yeah the chapter that introduced the whole mole situation was called Exterminate so you think obviously something else is going to turn up chapter 16 was called Fantastic Voyage chapter 18 called Unearthly Child's Play The Crack of Doom was another one Kensington Gore <laughs> chapter 21 was genius so all that sort of stuff really cracked me up but it was also there was there's a lot of really funny bits as well like um, Graham was captured absolutely perfectly Yaz and Ryan felt very authentic <laughs> (laughs) I think Jodie's doctor was caught very well. There's a bit towards the end where she mentions Paul Daniels, which was hilarious, and I can just imagine, you know, I can imagine her doing that on TV and it it working really well and being really funny. It's you know, you you know, as she says, um, you like this, but not a lot. You know, (laughs) it's it's the fact. What made it funnier was that obviously Paul was at his peak on TV, what in the 80s and stuff, probably the 90s as well. So it was a slightly, you know anachronistic sort of reference for the Doctor to make, it wasn't exactly, you know, suitably contemporary, and I thought that suited Jodie's Doctor really well, trying to be cool but being a bit awkward with it the bit when Ryan talks about (laughs) Weirlock Holmes was hilarious (laughs) Um, you know, I want to find the actual I want to see if I can find the actual line where he says it, hang on yeah, Yeah, Ryan when discussing this programme, he's telling Yaz about it, says, Wherlock Holmes by day he's an ordinary primary school teacher but once a month during the full moon he turns into a detective with wolf based
0: crime fighting skills <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> can imagine um, I can imagine Tosin delivering that perfectly, earnestly and with a straight face and a reaction shot of Yaz sort of going, you know, you what it was great, it was really really funny, I enjoyed this you know, and I I've, I've have find myself saying this quite a lot about spin-off media said it, certainly said it a lot about the Sixth Doctor this was, I think Better. I enjoyed this more—a heck of a lot more than a lot of
0: TV Jodie stories. Can't put it any plainer than that. The Thing that I mean, I found that Ryan actually gets stuff to do here, and the fact that his dyspraxia is part of the story—it's mentioned, and it's not just something that sort of paid lip service to. It's mm. sort of—it's involved in there. Yeah. Whereas, it's pretty much in TV. It's in his first story and his last story, and nothing in between. Yeah, it's almost like I think. um I think they mentioned
1: Kablam a little bit as well, but it's um yeah it's it's almost feels like it was a it's like Melanie being a computer programmer on TV and you know, you're the computer expert Mel how would you do this and in time they ran there's one line but you never really see her using her her fantastic computer skills. But this was interesting because the bit when they try to cross the bridge and it's quite narrow and Ryan is uncomfortable doing it that was you know that was handled really really well and it didn't feel like it was done as a sort of. You know crowbarred in sort of reference or anything, it yeah. felt you know, this it felt quite natural.
0: Something yeah. else that I particularly enjoyed was the spaceship set, or was the school setting. I thought that was just fantastic. I think that's such a Doctor Who thing to do, yeah, to take a boarding school but put it in space. Mm-hmm. And when you come to uh, when you get to a certain age, you're gonna die, yeah. That Logan's Run sort of vibe, yeah, it was very interesting. Put in my mind that. I mean, the whole book
1: is a quest sort of story. Um, I was reminded in the way of Flux, mm-hmm. which you know told you know, interlinked stories with an arc and all that and this was quite similar, you know, that they have to go to they get some at the start via um Graham's begonia plant. Graham's traitorous begonia plant, it must be said. And they have to go off and find three keys and it was you know, you can imagine it's been strung out over three or four episodes on T V. You know, a miniseries almost because it's as you say, with the school and then um, the sort of street the, the little enclosed sort of street party thing in London and, you know, the various other sort of places they have to go to it's it's it was the opposite of a base under siege story shall we say yes you know it showed the scope and scale of what you can do with Doctor Who and it was you know all that sort of stuff was
0: cracking yeah I particularly like the, the school ties that uh, that can constrict and kill you and just sort of there's a good way to get behaviour in school yeah and that's such a great thing for school kids as well particularly at that age who this is sort of aimed for as the mm. minimum mm-hmm. and upward age mm-hmm. and it's something that we as adults can relate to sort of that school conformity of being, behaving and obeying the rules and I really like that I thought it was such a clever idea sort of just going with it and sort of just keep yourself under control and imagine if they'd had that at Brendan school, Turlow would have been in huge trouble absolutely. week in and week out. Absolutely,
1: absolutely yeah it was, I mean that's what I'm saying is that you know plenty of ideas scattered throughout, there was almost ideas to spare in it, it was a really really enjoyable read
0: Also the other part I particularly enjoyed is all the stuff that's going on with the giant mole that's easy, I think that is so funny, it just it feels very season 17 to me Really? Um, I, th- I was quite. I found it quite almost sub James Herbert, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, that, that I, d- I didn't.
1: Funny. I didn't receive that in a funny way at all. It was really quite scary, like uh, the way that Ryan is, and Graham were sort of tricked into it. the the red herring about Mister Delgado. Brilliant. Which is very funny, listeners. If you haven't read this book, you know we're, we're spoiling some of the details, but you should. We're not going to tell you everything about it. You really should be. No, I was. It reminded me of yeah, because I, I mean the first I, the first time I read the James Herbert novel, I think it was in the first year or something. The first time I read The Rats. And when I read that again a few years ago, I was like, "Oh my god, what was I doing?" <laughs> um, but yeah, because I was the scene with, with the, the mole catcher when um, when Mister Manners, which is obviously a very funny name. Is sort of going in to sort of invest because it's his job, listeners. He, he, he's a, a mole, sort of a pest control guy. And yeah, the, the whole scene with Mr. Manos actually reads like one of the vignettes from a James Herbert novel, which usually ends in a character being ripped to bits by rats or you know, cutting off part of their own anatomy and dying horribly. I was really pleased when he was rescued, <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified that was going to be him. So it's interesting we we received that bit very differently. Yeah, that's, that's interesting.
0: Funny. I think it's good. I just read it in a Sort of this is a, this is a ridiculous concept—a giant killer mole—and I just to me it felt season 17 quite. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't. So bizarre.
1: You might have to you might have to give David a call and ask him about that bit again. Yep. Then.
0: <laughs> Sadly, I don't have his number, only his email or or, or, or whatever or text him and say. Can yep. I just call you again? Just because David's raised this point, can yep. I ask you about it? <laughs> well, anyway. we've mentioned David, not you. Why don't we hear from the author himself now? Great idea.
2: Yes, indeed. Well, my name is David Solomons. Um, I'm an accidental children's author. And um, as part of my uh, uh, career, I was asked to write uh, two Doctor Who novels, and um, the first of which is called The Secret in Vault 13. And it was followed up by The Maze of Doom. Um, And I think that's why I'm here having a chat.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, it is. And you're most welcome. And of course, we always welcome our Scottish guests on. We welcome all our guests, but Scottish guests, we will just sort of roll out the red carpet for you and the audio red carpet. So that's <laughs> unfurled, and that's me walking up it. There thank Excellent. you Excellent. Well, here we go. I suppose we should mention it from the word go, as we've discovered from our chat before we started. You are a huge Doctor Who fan. Absolutely.
2: Yes. It, it, it looms large in my in my in my creative life now. And I, I was reflecting on it before talking to you today and I just realized how important it was to me as as a child. And just that, that appointment television of, of showing up, uh, I'm going to get the time wrong, and I know uh, I, I know that's a really bad thing to do on a specialist Doctor Who show, but but Saturday evening, every Saturday evening, I'm going to leave it at that, I can't remember. Because I know it changed a bit, didn't it, in terms of
0: when it aired. Um, yeah, time slots moved around. And then yeah, of course yeah, yeah. in the what Davison was, was years in
2: Roundup. What was the sport roundup? was on after
0: grandstand and final score and sports scene.
2: Final, right. Right. And um and, and it was something I watched with my dad and often with the whole family. And that's I think that's quite rare these days. And 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 it, it was just a constant through my childhood and so different from anything else that was out there. And and so when I was asked in in much later life to pen these novels it was an extraordinary feeling to be connected to even, you know, tangentially like like this, to write a story and to, to say, here's a doctor, go write your own story and go make it up. And and the, the idea that my my own, you know, little uh, eight, nine, ten-year-old self, I'd love to be able to tell him that that's,
0: that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned at the start there that you're an accidental children's author. Tell us how that came about. I have read this elsewhere. It's a great story. <laughs>
2: so I, 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 I as a, I'm a writer I've been a professional writer for quite a while and um I, I wanted to be a screenwriter and, and I, I had delusions of grandeur that I was going to write a screenplay and that uh, Steven Spielberg was going to read it and that was it it was going to be a wait and strangely enough that hasn't happened <laughs> listen to me that hasn't happened yet there's a, there's, still, there's still a deluded <laughs> part of me I mean yeah it, it let, let's not do the whole the whole thing but ba- basically I wrote a couple of novels that failed miserably. They were awful. One was a, a grown-up novel, an adult novel, and couldn't get it published. And then I wrote a children's novel and, I, and, and um, sent it about a bit. And the feedback I got was, effectively, I'd written the story of a middle-aged man having a midlife crisis, um, except that the middle-aged man in this story was a ghost. Um, and it wasn't really appropriate for a children's novel. And I just kept on throwing uh, stuff at the wall, and one day I sat down and I wrote this, this line, my brother is a superhero, and I could have been one too, except I needed to go for a wee. And I wrote that down, I was I was actually in the British Library, how the hallowed halls, and I wrote it down in a pad. I thought, ooh, there's something here. And it turned out there was a career there. <laughs> I kept writing, so I wrote this, um, this book that turned into my brother's a superhero, and amazingly, the, the, there was a, there was a space for it in the in the, pu- the children's publishing world, and and it took off. It became an, a, a bona fide hit, and I wrote four more novels in that series, and I, I guess it gave me a profile in in the children's book industry, and so then Puffin came calling, or I mean, uh, um, to say, would I consider writing the Doctor Who books? And um, and immediately I said yes, and then they said the only thing is um, we need the first one in thirteen weeks time. Isn't that funny? Thirteen they need. I just suddenly suddenly struck me. I never thought of that before. They literally needed it in thirteen weeks because because of the show was being in pre-production or in production, whatever it was. They needed it, to, and I went. I can't do that in thirteen weeks. That's impossible. And so I so I turned it down. And then I thought if I read in the trades and Publishers Weekly or whatever. That somebody else is doing this, and I've not. After I'm going to hate myself. <laughs> so I, I called them back, said I'll do it, and uh, I and then I started writing Secret Vault 14. I decided to do it episodically. I decided to do it episodically for two reasons. One to to mimic my experience of watching Doctor Who. So there's there's like. Uh, this epi- different episodes in the book that are linked there's a through line but also because I knew as a professional writer that if I did it episodically and it turned out that one of the stories was was no good then I could remove it I could I can fill it out and I could put something else in without any difficulty and that would that would help with with hitting this deadline so I thought I was really clever doing this but oh my goodness trying to go from a standing star, I had nothing, I had nothing, to a finished draft in 13 weeks. And then of course, like everybody else at that time um, in the Doctor Who world, I knew nothing, outside of the production, they were keeping it really tight. There was no, they weren't letting people uh, know anything about costume and, and critically about the TARDIS design. And so I kept saying, I'm supposed to be describing a Doctor Who you know, adventure. I need I need to know what the new Tardis looks like, and and they kept asking the publisher kept asking the BBC for information, and it was not forthcoming for a long time. And then one day, this email popped up, and it was like something out of Mission Impossible. <laughs> it was literally, you know, well, it wasn't literally. That was it was going to self destruct, and I had I had I had. I had did I have the day to look at it? Whatever it was, it was a bunch of sketches of the interior of the new TARDIS design, and I was allowed to look at it, and it obviously it had, I think the idea was if if this got out, I would be toast. So, so I had the I had the diagrams, the blueprints, and that for for a, a day, so I could do the descriptions, and then they and then they vanished again
0: <laughs> into the space time inc- continuum. That's incredible. but I mean, I suppose that was the level of secrecy that was going around. I suppose there's something similar now, keeping the current Tardis quiet. But you know, mm-hmm. what I have to, say, what I really like about this because the fact that it starts off going in one direction as we meet the all the lovely plant inspired creatures and then it goes off and we get almost like a keys of marinus type adventure looking for three components yeah 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 no absolutely that I, I mean it is a mashup. the the the
2: plants thing so i live in dorset now and i've been here a long time and there is a country house oh my goodness this isn't this isn't good for the podcast because i'm blanking on the name but basically it was the it was the one that they used in uh seeds is it seeds of doom Seeds of Doom. Right, there you go. And the first time I went, um, I didn't know this. And then I went into the gift shop. And normally in these gift shops, of course, it's just the usual rubbish. And there was all this Doctor Who merch. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so, so yes, so Seeds of Doom. So, so there's a bit of Seeds of Doom. And then absolutely, there's the... You, you said the key. I I, I think of the, the key to time. What I'm what? Oh, yes, we're both,
0: I think we're both right. Because Keys right. of Marinus has obviously been Hartnell era and then Key to Time obviously been Tom era. So yes, there's that right. quest element to find keys yeah, to build yeah. up something else.
2: And again, I think the quest bit, and I mean, it's it's people often refer uh, in, in plotting terms, it's a kind of video game plot, you know, collect keys to get to the next level. And it's, it, it's functional and it, it helped me uh, to to the to the, the sort of armature of this plot, it helped me to hang things off. And as I say, part of it was it was a I was creating a modular novel in case I had to change bits of it um, at the last, you know, for the second draft. Which thankfully it didn't. The the biggest change was in the section about the school. The the editor I was working with, who is an apps, he he is a. Uh, a polymath and and a, a huge lover of all things pop culture and I'm a huge who fan and uh he had some great notes on that and that was the biggest change and actually I, I he it's his favorite part of it and he was like this this would be the, this is the perfect doctor who adventure in terms of how it works and uh, I mean partly cuz he helped help write it <laughs> but I know what he means in terms of the way the way it works but yeah um so the collect the keys you know fit it all together um, save save the universe I, I like stories I mean I think that's familiar you can, it's easy to get into my my task then I like to subvert your expectations a bit how do you collect the key where is the key and all of these things. That's where I, I would I, I put in the the major effort to it, uh, so that when you're reading it, you're not going, "Oh yeah, saw that coming, saw that coming." I, yeah. I really want you to be if not perpetually surprised then perhaps then maybe maybe delighted
0: by yeah. by it. you know the key has to be somewhere you weren't expecting it to be yeah. there i'd say there's a great bit of wrong footing with um, mr delgado which uh, i know exactly what you're doing with that and who you're expecting <laughs> us to think it was and uh, gentleman with a beard no it's not yeah your, yeah, yeah i have to admit uh, you no. did get me with that one david
2: good but but then isn't it interesting I would have got you with it but the more general reader um I'm assuming there are more general readers for this kind of book wouldn't would would definitely not get that it was more yeah I mean those are I guess that's what's referred to
0: now as fan service isn't it yeah and <laughs> um, there was a, a slightly more rude term for it in the 90s but uh when it was in the new adventures books <laughs> but uh we don't need oh, to say okay. that w word here but no I mean I love the fact that you're, you're dropping in references here and there to things like the Eye of Harmony and just this is literally easter eggs that you know little fan pleasing moments like that that you can you can put in there and it doesn't distract if you get the reference it's there for you and if you don't yeah. so be it but I also
2: this so, so I was thinking about you know, there's the the absolute classic one, which is everybody who enters the TARDIS for the first time, the, the kind of bigger on the inside thing. And I, I've noted that all the showrunners for the show, everyone's so aware of this, they want to play with it a bit. And I was just looking at uh, why, because it, it obsesses me as well. And I guess because it's a novel, in the novel is talking about it and she's obviously she's she's already experienced it by the time um, this, the, 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 these events have hap- are happening and so it's other people coming on board and it's reported the bigger on the inside thing but she says this thing that she, the other thing of which is that she feels that she too becomes bigger and bolder on the inside um, when she enters the TARDIS and, and actually I haven't read this for a while but that gives me a little... Uh, kind of pang. I I get that as a fan as well. There's something about... I remember as a a little boy the security and safety of TARDIS in in this universe of monsters and scary things. The TARDIS just represented a safe hold and uh, I know I, uh, it was breached, wasn't it? Or it has yep. been breached over the years. Yep. but, but, but even Destroyed so, in
0: Frontios as well, pulled underground and into the caves with the Gravis and such yeah, like. Yeah. But, yeah,
2: Which I wonder, I wonder about. I mean, you know, I guess you have to change it up from time to time. But there is something about the the, the kind of sanctuary of the, of the TARDIS and um, the inviolability of it that really appeals to me.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway. Something that I noticed, it did just uh, talking of companions, we get dyspraxia gets mentioned, and actually with Ryan and actually do something with it rather than just being mentioned in his first story <laughs> and then his last story. And Faya actually did something with it and made reference to it, which I think was was a, it was a nice touch. I take it that was something you'd been given in the character notes for everyone, and then then did something yeah.
2: with it. Yeah. Uh, the the funny thing was. The character notes were also much like the dis- much like the TARDIS. I had very little to go on, and as for the Doctor, as for thirteen, I had had what everyone else had, which was her, her what, the the um, the first word that she utters in the end of the previous season. Brilliant, right? That was it. That was my character for for thirteen. So I I got to be honest with you. The first time through, I was writing Thirteen, but kind of filtering her through Four, my right. Doctor. Yeah. And then subsequently going through, when when more about Thirteen was apparent, kind of uh, rewriting and, and just shaping, uh, shaping her that way. But I had, yeah, I had very little to go on. And one of the things, that the 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 bbc books um <laughs> the, the editor there said they were absolutely shocked when they read the first draft because i'd got so much right you know uh, based on what they were doing they were like how did you know um, yeah so maybe but, but i think that's because as much as who is reinvented and is and is is there's designed to be reinvented every time there's obviously a um a consistency the, the, yeah. there's there's elements that are always the same and i think maybe um it's um yeah just there's just something about it that's eternal <laughs> um
0: yeah i think and, you're, and you're, also, you're basically I... quoting terence dix there praising the doctor is the doctor is the doctor so it's pretty right. much the same character but you just uh, change the fittings around the edges with some of the phrasology.
2: okay okay um apart
0: from Again, showing
2: my ignorance. So when I was watching, when I was a kid, and I loved it, and then along came, oh my goodness, the angry one. What's his Colin name? Baker. Right. I, I and and I absolutely, I was so thrown by that. I remember it being a trauma when I uh, 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 as a as a fan, and I you know I really struggled. Um, I couldn't understand who this this doctor was but yeah maybe apart from him <laughs> maybe i should go back and re-watch maybe it's different now watching his performance as as an adult um but i suppose in some ways i was cleaving to the doctor as a kind of um as an anchor in, in not not that i had such a traumatic upbringing but there's just something you know childhood is childhood it's it's, it's it's it has its own scariness and changes and all the rest of it and and yeah the doctor's a doctor's a doctor you is a constant and it's on every Saturday and and uh, although that changed too <laughs> and there's just something consistent and, and uh, uh, that that was important to me that but yeah
0: no, I, think it's, I think it's it's a good fun rom traveling around time and space you know obviously when you get to split the crew up into twos I think that helps as well rather than having to find something for the four to do together, and I think that's a big problem that maybe the show had in TV—just too many. Yeah. But dividing them into twos, pairing them up, and having the separate adventures at the same time—if that makes sense—concurrently, yeah. there we go. I think that's what what definitely helped.
2: Yes, I mean there were there were too many people in the TARDIS in my view that season. I just think they under you know underused. I had a lot of characters to. I had the same characters to deal with, but but again, with, with very little backstory for them. And it felt a bit like, you know, when you play football in the playground, when you're little and everybody just runs after the ball as a big mat, you know <laughs> group, it was a bit like that. And of course they had to be split up. And it also there's a point of view thing in, in that I was very keen that it's sort of uh, third person limited, but it's limited to the companions and you never, Get inside the doctor's head. Again, for me, the doctor's such, a, such an alien figure. Uh, so, no, it's not just so smart, so beyond anything. I didn't want to try and uh, put her thoughts down. Uh, and and just, see, I wanted her to just have a little bit of distance from the, the human characters in it. And so, all of the stories are told through their eyes uh, looking at her and she's obviously integral but but you don't know what she's thinking and i think that's important uh, her her thought processes are not human thought processes and um, because we're not you're know, we're not showing them in the book and that was important to me so so splitting up the characters and giving them separate missions uh, separate plots at that point is really useful uh, because you then get to delve into each of them uh, with a bit more depth and uh, that was quite satisfying yeah
0: what were your highlights from this book
2: delivering the draft on time that (laughs) from from that point of view i have to say i I, i'm a bit jaded when it comes to everyone says oh when you write a book it must be wonderful when you get that copy of it in your hand for the first time and i guess i i'd done enough to this point that i wasn't that it, it didn't didn't do anything for me and then suddenly doctor who this cover appeared, this book appeared, with you know, Doctor Who on one end and my name on the other. And it's like, oh my goodness. It was, in that. so that was, I mean, it's a cliche, but getting the finished copy in my hand was extraordinary. And um, yeah, I mean, in terms of this, the storytelling, you know, it's so long since I've looked at it, I almost have to remind myself what it's about. I feel like the... I'm really proud of the way the that section with the the kind of s- the, the school that was on board the the ship that got lost and that the, they end up kind of carrying on the civilization based on uh, based on, on on a kind of English public school uh, system uh, and the doctor coming into that and actually initially it was going to be that they'd been there for several generations but one of the notes was, because this is slightly different from the other doctor who originals I think in that because I'm known as a children's author they wanted something specifically for the for the what the what the Americans call middle grade which is kind of 8 9 to 12 year olds yeah. and my thing is that I write that but I also those books are can also be read by by adults and they should be able to read them and get enjoyment
0: out of them so I think that's why they picked me well I'm an adult and I enjoyed it
2: Oh yeah, no that's and that's really important to me. I mean I the truth is there's all this sort of marketing and this sort of, you know, demographics all the rest of it. I only write books that I want to read. And it turns out that uh, so do 11-year-olds and so do 35-year-olds and 55-year-olds. You know, but but I guess for the most part they're marketed towards uh, the younger readers and and that's fine. Yeah, so so the the school story which was initially gonna be generations, that's right, and, and then becomes a much the the the, time, the action takes place over a much shorter space of time because they didn't want the idea that the the school had been here for a hundred years or more and that the, some of the children had died and that this was the next generation. It was important that that the doctor comes in and rescues everybody and that that uh, there isn't a sense of of great loss. And I think that's a good call. And and actually I always find you know, those Aristotelian unities of, of, of time and action and place that if you can li- limit a story in those ways, it often does make for quite a, an intense drama. Uh, it, up, it ups the ante a bit, and I think it does in that section.
0: Yeah. And of course, it ends in a cliffhanger
2: already for the sequel. Uh, so that's the thing I like to do, which is I end on a cliffhanger and I have absolutely no idea what happens next. <laughs> what? So I do I've done that with all the books that I've written. Just shove in a cliffhanger without knowing what's where it's gonna go. <laughs> and um it's like a challenge. It's like it's like, it, I'm making a problem for future David. Yeah. And he he can solve it. <laughs> Could you be
0: any more Stephen Moffat? <laughs> um, I, well, I, I could be. I could be a lot more successful. That would be good. <laughs> also, I've just noticed that I've realised that the poster behind you, as we speak, is not another happy ending, which was the Karen Gillan film. Very nice.
2: Yes. So that was that was really strange. Um, yeah. So in my in my other life, as I say, as I as, as I as I've said earlier, I wanted to be a, a screenwriter and. I've occasionally written something and even more occasionally it's got made into something and this was a ultra low budget movie filmed in Glasgow and it was Karen's first feature lead it was it must have been soon after Doctor Who Uh, yeah I guess it was and it was it was it was fun to hang out with her and um, she didn't give away too much. Um, but also, it was it was interesting seeing fan reactions. You know, the youngsters in the street who would who would see her, and she was so good with them, so engaging, and and would play up to it, which I had really admired. And yeah, I wanted to get a. I don't know if there's a Doctor Who reference in the film. Oh, I did a I did a film with a, a TV show, oh, uh, a pilot years and years ago with Dennis Lawson, mm-hmm. who played. um which, of course would cast him as a as a as a policeman base a detective and i was desperate to get a really good star wars reference into the script and to, to get him to say something that had a star wars reference. and i did <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i suppose that's the thing with the police the police force the force is strong with this one there yeah, you go yeah, that sort of true. thing that could well, have worked. do you know
2: bizarrely it was an obi-wan kenobi pun and it, um and it was uh yeah, it was
0: very. It was one of those. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic, David! Thank you so much for your time, and I'd love to have a chat, uh, perhaps further down the line, about the, about the sequel, Maze of Doom. Maze of Doom. Uh, Any time, <laughs> you know where to find me. <laughs> Absolutely, but no thanks once again, and thanks for being part of our 60th anniversary celebrations. My pleasure. So thank you very much to David and yes we'll definitely have to speak to him again soon but we'll explain why soon The thing that I found fascinating from what he said there was the characterisation of the Doctor the notes that he got back saying you've absolutely nailed Jyoti's Doctor as yeah. it were. and it's pretty much based in writing for Tom Baker Yeah that's, that was fascinating It's it,
1: it kind of calls back on one of the interviews you had with Al Dewar a few weeks ago when he was talking about getting a lot more sort of information from the production office and a lot more access to what's coming up remember we, we had an episode a few weeks ago listeners I'm sure you heard it when Kenny talked to Al about the, the set with the 13th Doctor and the 14th Doctor and how he got all this access to you know, be able to photograph the costume and stuff and he was sort of saying he hadn't he was very tactful and sort of said he hadn't had that level of access or you know support for quite a while and it's it's fascinating it seems almost counterproductive Current, kind of intuitive in behalf of some of the, on the the production team of Jodie's era to kind of you think they would want the books to be as accurate as possible, and I, I'm sure we've heard stories about some of the writers from the. Of you know the the ninth and tenth and eleventh doctors all being shown either scripts or preview episodes of some of the the earlier episodes for these new versions of some of the characters just so that their books would be more accurate. So if David got such little advance information, he nailed it. To be honest, yeah. As Ben Graham talks about, um, there never being any chairs, for example, which I think is you know exactly the sort of thing that Bradley would have said on telly, and. A lot of the time, I felt that on TV, Ryan became a bit of a blank slate, and he was handled very well in this. It's, you know, Mr. Solomon's. You've you've done a number, to be honest. If you were given so little help, there's no way of knowing that from reading the book. To be honest, I would have thought. I was surprised when I looked in the you know the information at the start of this that it came out as early as 2018. Because the, to me, this felt this was written. This could have been written after someone had watched the first couple of series. You know, it felt entirely accurate. And I suppose if he, if he was saying that about just trying to write Jodie as Tom in a way for, to make it work, I suppose that backs up what Terrence Dix used to say about the Doctor just being the Doctor. Interesting.
0: Well Dave, before we move on, let's have a quick read at what the DWM review had to say. And this was written by Elizabeth Miles, another Scottish person, so there we go. The secret in Vault 13 begins with a nod to Douglas Adams when one of Graham's Begonia sends the TARDIS crew on a fast-paced adventure to save the universe from Nightshade, a nihilistic sentient plant. And that sort of sums it up quite well. Each of the characters has room to really breathe. The 13th Doctor's TARDIS is pretty crowded but there's more than enough space in 300 pages for everyone to shine. As a heroic rescuer or a gamely Try and escape when caught by a giant mole or angry plant. Yaz in particular gets to show off her determination and practicality as she goes alone into the mind of the TARDIS to search for the final key. Despite being aimed at younger readers, references to old Doctor Who adventures are liberally, and perhaps a little too liberally, sprinkled throughout the story if an adult fan of the series is reading this one to their kids it's a neat way to entice them into trying a tom baker episode or two now would you like to enjoy another doctor who story with giant killer plants and people getting turned into compost is a question that can't fail to ignite enthusiasm in a young one well, i have to say i really enjoyed this one i think it's the energy it's got, it's got fun. I mean, everything that it says in the back cover, it absolutely delivers. Mm-hmm. It delivers thrills, it delivers hilarity, and it also delivers scares. Yeah, and I think that it's, as you said, I think if there'd been more adventures like this on telly, I think that for some people they'd probably be less critical than they yeah, have been. Yeah, it's one of these things. It's like
1: we don't want to be, we don't want to be too critical at this point. You know, we're trying to be positive and sort of, but. Some people seem to understand and just get Doctor Who, and David Solomon is obviously one of them. And I don't mean this felt at any point like a generic sort of. It felt, yeah, the, the highest praise I can give it felt a proper Doctor Who, and. I think that's something that the TV series has lost focus on occasionally over the last few years. You know, I think that's probably fair comment at this point. <laughs> so this was, but this was excellent. And the good thing is, listeners, we haven't really spoiled very much about it at all. No. We've given you a few hints about some of the bits that we liked, but this there's, there's loads more we could have talked about. For, for a, you know, a comparatively short book, there was a lot packed in. Yes. Really, really, really enjoyed it. But of course... It doesn't quite end there, does it? No, that's the, th- that's the thing I wasn't expecting. Um, it has a cliffhanger. Basically a sort of distress signal type thing, which we're told right at the end is coming from inside the TARDIS. But frustratingly, in the edition I had, there was nothing that said to find out what about this signal, you'll have to go and read Maze of Doom. I'm presuming it was Maze of Doom. Yes, yes, yeah. it is Maze of Doom. Because that was the other book that was published at the same time. So does your edition have
0: something that says that? Your slightly it later It says... One? No. Oh. <laughs> no. Based on the coordinates, the signal is coming from inside the TARDIS, and that's how it ends. So it's good. Do you know what I think we should do? We're going to have to do a follow-up with Red Maze of Doom. I completely concur. Mm-hmm. Completely concur. And uh, I think it'll be fascinating just to hear how that developed, <laughs> because as David just said in the interview there, he didn't know how it was going to go. Right. He left it open for himself to write. He'd left it blank slate. Mm-hmm. A bit like um, a what, what, what moment. Sort of like, okay, what we sure. do next? Love it. I caught you?
1: Yeah, no, it was. Um, I was very surprised, and listeners, I was a little frustrated I couldn't just go and pick up. I didn't have Maze of Doom to hand, to just
0: start
1: reading it straight away. That's and a good sign. Instead, I started reading one of the other books that we're going to be covering in the future. Aha! Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's the Alan Partridge book, isn't it? I'm not going to tell you which one it was. No, it's not. But of course, the other great thing is that this episode has given us a link for our end of episode yes tune. Yes. Yeah, very amusingly, there's a whole
1: thing with, um, the mole is sort of susceptible to to sounds and vibrations and frequencies and stuff, so they kind of... And there's a whole bit with an unexploded bomb, it was just genius, and the bit when, obviously, spoilers, the mole gets blown up, and there's (laughs) bits of mole lying around, and
0: you're like, oh my god! (laughs) So yes, the short version is, Kenny, what are we playing out with today? Well... I'm assuming that you don't want to play out with the magic flute which also gets referenced in here no I was I was hoping that the Mariah Carey yes that's what I was (laughs) going to go with as well
1: so Dave you better introduce it for us so yes listeners um
0: playing out today with We Belong Together by Mariah Carey we'll be back tomorrow with another book and we should also say Listeners, if any of you have pet moles in the vicinity Please take them away and don't let them hear this bit Because we don't want to be responsible for your mole exploding No, the, that's
1: the last thing we want Definitely So definitely. yes, listeners, go and read The Secret in Vault 13 It's
0: brilliant See you tomorrow We'll be back with some 14th Doctor fun
1: Bye bye
3: I didn't mean it when I said I didn't love you so I should have held on I never should have let you go I didn't know nothing I was stupid, I was foolish I was lying to myself. Could not fathom that would ever be without your love Never imagined I'd be sitting here beside myself Cause I didn't know you, cause I didn't know me But I thought I knew everything